This e-multiple sclerosis review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. If we're able to identify a prodromal phase for multiple sclerosis, we may be able to detect people and identify them at the very earliest stages of multiple sclerosis. This gives clinicians a window of opportunity in which our patients have the disease and yet have not manifested the typical clinical symptoms or any disability. And perhaps during that window of opportunity, we might be able to intervene. Clinical and radiologic features of an MS prodrome. Welcome to this edition of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Is there a prodromal stage of multiple sclerosis? Does it really exist? How is it defined? What does the ongoing research point to? And most importantly, how can patients benefit? To discuss those questions, we're joined today by Dr. Nyla Makani from the Departments of Pediatrics and Neurology at the Yale University School of Medicine. For our guest disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, emsreview.org, and select the Volume 5, Issue 8 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Makani, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The first learning objective for our discussion today is to summarize the clinical features of the hypothesized prodromal stage of MS. I want to begin by defining our terms, and that means my first question to you is, what is the MS prodrome? An MS prodrome is a theoretical or a hypothesized phase of early MS. That's a stage in which the biology of the disease has already begun, but a person doesn't yet have the typical clinical symptoms of multiple sclerosis. There may be other clinical symptoms or signs or imaging findings or biomarkers for this phase, but the person doesn't know that they have MS and neither does their treating physician yet. Well, now you said yet. Is this a theory or does an MS prodrome really exist? We're not sure yet, and more work is being done in this area. We can hypothesize from other conditions. For instance, there are other neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, in which there are very well-characterized prodromal phases. We know, for instance, in Parkinson's disease that the olfactory symptoms or sleep disorders can occur many years before the typical motor manifestations. There are also other autoimmune diseases in which there are very well-characterized prodromal phases, including rheumatoid arthritis. So in the rheumatoid arthritis literature, there's a proposal to divide the disease into six very well-designed categories, going from a risk factor phase where there are genetic risk factors, then there are environmental risk factors or exposures that might be layered onto that. A person may then have biological evidence of the disease, for instance, by demonstrating autoantibodies in their blood. Then they may have non-arthritis manifestations, followed by either non-specific or specific symptoms or arthritis for rheumatoid arthritis. Certainly in the rheumatoid arthritis world, this has really helped identify people in early stages of the disease who may benefit from enrollment in clinical intervention trials. Whether this is true for MS, we don't know yet, and certainly more work needs to be done in this area. 
All right, but what evidence is there specifically about a prodromal phase in multiple sclerosis? There are a few things that we know so far. We know, for instance, that there are cognitive deficits in people with MS many years before they're diagnosed with the disease. We also know about healthcare utilization. So physicians' visits, hospitalizations increase in the five years before an MS diagnosis in people with the condition. We also know there are other reasons why people go to the doctor around that time. There's a study in which up to 10 years before a person was diagnosed with MS, they may go to a physician or seek care for things like gastrointestinal symptoms, anxiety, depression, or other sensory symptoms, for instance. Problems with cognition, GI symptoms, anxiety, those could be from many conditions besides MS. What else could help validate this concept of a prodrome? Are there biomarkers that should be looked at? That's a great question. People have looked at blood biomarkers, for instance, including neurofilament light chain or NFL. NFL is a marker of neuroaxonal degeneration and has been shown to rise in people with MS many years before they're diagnosed with the disease. And what about imaging abnormalities? We also know that there may be imaging characteristics of the prodrome, things like the radiologically isolated syndrome, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. But as a reminder, this is the incidental detection of MRI abnormalities suggestive of multiple sclerosis in people without any evidence of the disease. And we now know that this finding can precede the clinical symptoms by many years. If an MS prodrome really does exist, in what ways are patients going to benefit? If we're able to identify a prodromal phase for multiple sclerosis, we may be able to detect people and identify them at the very earliest stages of multiple sclerosis. This gives clinicians a window of opportunity in which our patients have the disease and yet have not manifested the typical clinical symptoms or any disability. And perhaps during that window of opportunity, we might be able to intervene. We may be be able to intervene, for instance, with dietary factors, for instance, optimizing a person's vitamin D level, other lifestyle factors, including optimizing exercise and a person's body weight. Potentially, we might be able to also intervene with a disease-modifying therapy, and there's some evidence for that in other high-risk groups, including those with radiologically isolated syndrome, which we'll talk about later. Because the goal is really to identify MS early in people so that we may be able to, down the line, intervene, treat people early, and improve the quality of lives of our patients. Having this ability to intervene before multiple sclerosis symptoms begin, that could completely transform the approach to MS care. How are we going to get there? There are a few next steps that need to be taken. And this is something that we as a scientific community are actively discussing. For instance, I was invited to participate in the Prodromal MS or Pro-MS workshop that was sponsored by the National MS Society and the Canadian MS Societies. And at that meeting, we as a group planned out a roadmap for what we need to get to the stage where we could have criteria for prodromal multiple sclerosis. Because the goal is to identify with good certainty or good probability, it might not be 100%, which people have early or prodromal multiple sclerosis. 
Doing that will probably take putting together a number of things, a baseline probability of someone having early MS, adding to that a number of biomarkers, including neurofilament light chain potentially, imaging biomarkers, other genetic or environmental risk factors, taking all of those risk factors, multiplying them by the magnitude of their association with the risk of a future diagnosis of MS, and then calculating with some certainty or being able to give someone at the individual level a risk score for having prodromal MS. Can you take that a step further for us? What research studies would need to be done to prove a prodromal phase of MS? There are a variety of scientific studies that still need to be undertaken. This includes population-based studies to really determine what the prevalence of MS is in different populations. We're going to learn a lot, I think, from high-risk groups, including twins and first-degree relatives of people with MS, in terms of what the clinical features of the multiple sclerosis prodrome really are. We need to discover new biomarkers, blood biomarkers, immune biomarkers, new imaging biomarkers. And I think all of that will also be come out of studies in high-risk populations. We also need long-term studies to find out what the outcomes of some of these high-risk populations are so we can see what the natural history of people at risk of having MS is. So if you would please, Dr. Makami, add it all together for us. The goal then would be to combine some of these factors, clinical factors, other biomarkers, including imaging biomarkers, blood biomarkers, including immune biomarkers or others, and other factors, including risk factors for having MS, and put them all together into a risk score to help calculate an individual's probability of being in this early or prodromal MS phase. And this might be very useful for other future studies, including the potential for clinical intervention trials. Well, thank you, doctor, for this very interesting discussion. Let's revisit what we've been talking about in light of our learning objective, summarize the clinical features that may identify the hypothesized prodromal stage of MS. What are the key things you'd want our learners to take away from this part of our discussion? There are a few key take-home points. First, there's emerging evidence that like in some other neurodegenerative or autoimmune conditions, there may be an early or prodromal phase of multiple sclerosis that occurs before the onset of typical neurological symptoms of the disease. Studies have shown that there is increased healthcare utilization in the approximate five years before an MS diagnosis in our adult patients. The precise clinical features of an MS prodrome are still to be elucidated and may vary between individuals. An MS prodrome may also be characterized by MRI, laboratory, or other, bi other biomarkers, for example, NFL or immune biomarkers. Work towards defining an MS prodrome may have implications for the earlier recognition and possibly, hopefully I would add in the future, early interventions for people with MS. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Nyla Makani from Yale in just a moment. It really is a very simple question. Your CME, CEU credits, have you got all that you need? Because they're still available without charge from eMultiple Sclerosis Review. It's the information you need to improve patient outcomes, 
combined with how that new information can be applied to clinical practice. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review delivers expert clinical advice and analysis. It's accredited for nurses as well as physicians, and all programs and credits are provided without charge. Find what you need at eMultipleSclerosisReview.org. Welcome back to our E-Multiple Sclerosis Review program. We've been speaking with Dr. Nyla Makani from the Departments of Pediatrics and Neurology at the Yale University School of Medicine about the increasing evidence that supports the existence of a presymptomatic MS prodromal stage. We've been discussing the clinical features of a possible, but so far hypothetical, MS prodrome. Let's turn now to the imaging findings on our second learning objective, describe the radiologic features that may identify the hypothesized prodromal stage of MS. So start us out in the clinic, if you would please, Dr. McConney, with a patient scenario. Sure. A 19-year-old woman underwent a brain MRI for the evaluation of headache. She has no other neurological symptoms. She has no family history of autoimmune disease. Her neurological examination is normal with an EDSS of zero. On brain MRI, she has two juxtacortical lesions and two periventricular lesions. There is no enhancement. Spinal cord imaging reveals a partial cord lesion at C4 that is also non-enhancing. Analysis of her spinal fluid reveals at least three algoclonal bands unique to the spinal fluid not present in serum. Interesting. Her neurologic exam is normal. She's got no disability. She's really got no MS symptoms. But on MRI, she does show some abnormalities. Is this an example of radiologically isolated syndrome, RIS? The answer is probably yes at least according to the newest proposed 2023 criteria. While she would have been close, she would not have met the original 2009 criteria for RIS proposed by Akuda and colleagues. I'm not sure what that answer means, doctor. Uh, help me out here. Does she or does she not have RIS? So overall, RIS refers to people who have incidental, so this has to be an unexpected finding, white matter abnormalities on their MRIs that are suggestive of multiple sclerosis without any clinical symptoms of the disease. Criteria for radiologically isolated syndrome, or RIS, were first proposed in 2009 by Darren Akuda and colleagues and required a few things. The lesions had to be the right shape, so they had to be ovoid, well-circumscribed, and homogenous. They had to be the right size, so at least three millimeters, and had to fulfill the Barkoff criteria, at least three of four, for dissemination in space. And those Barkoff criteria that you need at least three of are the following. You have to have at least one gadolinium-enhancing lesion or nine lesions that are T2-weighted, at least three periventricular lesions, at least one juxtacortical lesion, and at least one infratentorial lesion although a lesion in the spinal cord can substitute for this. So according to the 2009 criteria, she does not have RIS. But by the newly proposed 2023 criteria, she does? What are the key differences between what's been in use and what's being proposed? 
The key differences between the two sets of criteria are that a fewer number of lesions are required for the 2023 criteria if other supportive features are present. Specifically, in 2023, someone can meet the new criteria for RIS if the index MRI fulfills at least one, not three, of the four dissemination and space requirements, if supportive features are also present. And those supportive features include at least two oligoclonal bands in the spinal fluid that are not in serum, at least one lesion in the spinal cord, and any new lesions or dissemination in time on a follow-up MRI. These supportive features, what if that information is not available? It certainly could happen that some data is unavailable. For instance, if spinal fluid or spinal imaging were not obtained for a particular patient. Given their usefulness, especially in increasing diagnostic specificity, these supportive studies are strongly recommended to increase diagnostic certainty for RIS. And if the supportive features are simply not present in a particular patient? If other supportive features are not met, the recommendation is to have caution about establishing this diagnosis. In the future, we may have, for instance, advanced imaging markers or other markers that might help us identify truly demyelinating lesions, even when only a few findings are present. Let's go back to the patient you brought us, the 19-year-old woman who had a brain MRI to evaluate headache. At this point, what's her situation? Would she benefit from being treated with an approved MS disease-modifying therapy? Whether she should or shouldn't be treated with a disease-modifying therapy in the absence of neurological symptoms remains an open question, I think. The potential benefits of a disease-modifying therapy, or DMT, in delaying or preventing the onset of clinical symptoms needs to be weighed against the potential side effects of the different disease-modifying therapies themselves. Is there evidence, and, and what does it say? There have been a few long-term studies of people with RIS, including one that examined people for up to 10 years or even longer following identification of radiologically isolated syndrome. The study, whose lead author was one of my colleagues, Dr. Lebrun, found that about 50% of individuals who met the original 2009 RIS criteria developed clinical symptoms of multiple sclerosis within 10 years. While this is high, it also means that 50% of people with RIS did not develop any symptoms without any intervention in that same time frame. The challenge is reliably identifying those people with RIS at greatest risk of later developing typical symptoms of MS and that associated disability who may benefit from interventions. Talk to us about the risk factors for RIS, if you would, please, doctor. There are some risk factors that we know that identify people at highest risk. For instance, in the 10-year study that I mentioned previously, age, positive CSF for oligoclonal bands, infratentorial lesions on MRI, and spinal cord lesions were baseline independent predictors associated with a subsequent clinical event that identified a high-risk group of individuals. Treating individuals with RIS before MS symptoms appear, uh, is there evidence addressing that? 
We now, for the first time, have evidence from clinical trials, and this, I think, is really exciting. The ARISE trial was recently completed and published, which randomized people to either treatment with an oral DMT, dimethyl fumarate, versus placebo. Those who were treated with dimethyl fumarate had an 82% risk reduction over two years in the development of a first clinical event as compared to placebo, highly suggesting benefit. This was the first study of its kind and I think is really important for this patient population. Of note, those individuals in ARISE were identified and diagnosed using the 2009 RIS criteria. We still need trials for those meeting the newer 2023 criteria. So the results of the ARISE trial would seem to lend credence to the concept of an MS prodromal stage, no? This isn't the only such trial that has recently been completed. For instance, the Terrace study compares intervention with teriflunamide as compared to placebo and has a similar clinical design to ARISE. The study is complete, and while the formal results haven't been published yet, we heard an abstract at the American Academy of Neurology meeting earlier in 2023 that shared preliminary results of a potential benefit with teriflunamide in this population. How early does RIS start? Do we know? We don't know for sure. As I mentioned, in adults, about 50% of people with RIS developed clinical symptoms of MS within 10 years. This suggests that RIS may precede clinical symptoms of MS by many, many years, although we don't know exactly when it starts. We do know that RIS has also been described in children. This is some work that our group has done looking at an international cohort of children in which 42% developed clinical symptoms in a median of two years, although we use slightly different criteria than the ACUDA 2009 criteria. These findings have also now been confirmed in a separate U.S. study that confirmed the presence of RIS amongst children followed across multiple U.S. centers. Okay, so can we make some connections here? Earlier, we talked about the probable existence of an MS prodrome based on clinical features. How strongly does what we've been saying about radiologic features like RIS support that prodrome concept? That's a really good question, and we don't know for sure. What we currently think is there's an at-risk period for MS where some early life exposures or factors may play a role. For instance, infection with Epstein-Barr virus or EBV, low vitamin D levels and sunlight exposure, dietary factors, perhaps childhood obesity. And at some point, the biology of MS irreversibly starts. After that, it's possible that both the clinical symptoms that we've talked about that may characterize the prodrome, for instance, increased healthcare utilization and other symptoms may occur. And we don't really know about how this relates to how and when RIS begins. We know that this imaging finding also appears to proceed the clinical symptoms of MS for many people. So far, we've largely been studying the clinical features of a possible prodrome and RIS separately. However, as we work towards harmonized criteria for an MS prodrome, it's likely that it will be a combination of factors. 
clinical features, which may be common, but perhaps nonspecific, for example, headache or pain, prior risk exposures, for instance, Epstein-Barr virus infection, and imaging features such as RIS, which is very specific, although not as common, that will be included. One foreseeable challenge in creating such a harmonized definition or criterion for the prodrome is that not all people might have all of these possible factors either known or assessed. For instance, not everyone might have an MRI to determine whether RIS is present or not. Therefore, finding additional biomarkers will be key to identifying people with early or prodromal MS with good certainty. Fascinating and promising area of ongoing research, doctor. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. Let's wrap things up now by returning to our learning objective. Describe the radiologic features that may identify this hypothesized prodromal stage of MS. Uh, Dr. McConney, what are the most important things our listeners need to know? The take-home messages are that radiologically isolated syndrome, or RIS, refers to the incidental detection of MRI findings suggestive of MS in people with no symptoms of demyelinating disease. Approximately 50% of people with RIS, defined using 2009 definitions, develop the clinical symptoms of MS within 10 years. The newly proposed 2023 criteria for RIS allow a diagnosis to be made with fewer MRI lesions than the 2009 criteria if other supportive features are present. Clinical trials in people with RIS suggest that intervention with a DMT or disease-modifying therapy may prevent or delay the onset of clinical symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Further studies are needed to determine when RIS starts and the relationship between RIS and the broader MS prodrome is an area of active research. From the Yale University School of Medicine, Dr. Nyla Makani, thank you for joining us in today's eMultiple Sclerosis Review Program. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at eMultipleSclerosisReview.dkbmed.com. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. The Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med LLC. Thank you for participating.